In today's episode, we will be reading some checkmate mail, some checkmail, if you will. We'll be talking about some old TV shows, some new music, and some other stuff as it comes to mind. I'm your host, Derek Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Hey there, Checkmates. It's your old Uncle Derek coming to you from a still fairly snow-laden St. Louis, Missouri. We got a couple of days of snow here right in a row in the last week, which has really screwed up my mail. I, uh, I, I haven't gotten mail for a couple of days. I have a package that was sent to me on the 27th of January, that uh, it is now uh, getting deep into February, and I have not seen it yet. Uh, The interesting thing is the tracking number indicates that it was at my local branch, and it sat there for several days, and then was for some reason shipped to a different branch a half hour away from here. And it's been there for two days, so... That's lost, right? I mean, that's lost. I mean, they, they they tell me where it is, but it's it's not getting here. And frankly, I don't even want it anymore. Uh, post office sucks. That's partially because of things that happened leading up to the last election. But the post office sucks. And, like, uh, I'm instituting a new rule in my life that if... Uh, If I'm ordering from a place and they're going to send it UPS and then hand it off to the post office or they're only going to send by USPS, I'm not ordering from that place anymore. That's my methodology because my local branch sucked before the post office was crippled and now they're sending stuff from a mile away from my house to like 40 miles away from my house for... Seemingly no reason that I can think of. The post office was shut down for two days. They didn't, like, there was snow for two days, and that really shouldn't have shut down the post office because, you know, neither rain nor snow nor sleet nor dark of night nor muffins, whatever the damn thing is. There's just no reason that they should have shut down for two days entirely in the first place. I can understand not delivering to every house. I get that. But your office needs to keep operating if you're a government building. Uh, But yeah, they can't get a package to my door now, uh, like a full week later from when the snow started and it's gone further, like deeper into Missouri away from me. I don't get it. It's just snow. And I like snow. I'm okay with snow. I haven't been able to shovel my driveway because my back is really screwed up. But uh, fortunately, it got pretty warm today, and it's all, you know, just, it's drivable now. So I've just been able to back out of my driveway without shoveling it. Not the way I like to do things, but uh, I, there was just no physical way I could do it. Even put out a thing on Facebook saying, hey, if anybody's got a teenager that can help shovel my driveway, I physically can't. And uh, nobody cared. Nobody cared at all. So uh, that's what my friends are like. 
Anyway, it snowed here, and it's starting to clear up because it's uh, now, today it was unseasonably warm here because that's how St. Louis works, especially because the climate is collapsing all around us all the time. But it snowed here, and it was pretty for a day or so, and now it's just kind of in the way. Uh, I already told you that my back hurts. The COVID brain is not really clearing up very well. I'm still finding myself... Uh, struggling to get some words out here and there and and sort of losing track of what I was doing. The headaches and dizziness are lesser, but still there, so that is improvement. But the, uh, the COVID brain is kind of hanging around for me for a little bit, so uh, I don't know. Hopefully that clears up sooner than later. Other than that, not a ton going on in my world, mostly just watching the Olympics. I'm a big fan of the Olympics. I know that uh, several people who weren't going to be watching it anyway that are in my Facebook feed are complaining about it being in China again uh, because they don't like China. Uh, For some of them, valid reasons, but others of them because they believe they're just not supposed to like China because America. Uh, Look, wherever you stand on that is fine with me. Just stop ruining my day. And also, I kind of think that uh, in these moments where the world comes together and the eyes of the world are on a country, maybe those are moments where that country has an opportunity to learn and grow and change and to be held accountable. And I think that's a good thing. So yes, I am watching the Olympics. I've been enjoying curling. I've been enjoying the uh, figure skating. Uh, I am a big Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski fan, by the way. I just like listening to the two of them talk, particularly Johnny Weir, big fan of that guy. Um, what else? I've been watching some of the skiing and stuff like that, but, uh, it's, I mean, the Winter Olympics for me are figure skating and curling. That's, that's the main stuff I want to watch. I'm, where I'm, I'm, I'm going to put in a little bit of time watching the skeleton event because that's just death on ice. And why wouldn't I watch that? But, uh, the, the stuff that I, that I like is, uh, already well underway. So that's, uh, the, the stuff that brought me to the dance is well underway, but I'm enjoying the Olympics quite a bit. I hope you are too. I even got a Peacock subscription to the Peacock app thing to watch it, uh, for this little bit. I don't enjoy the Peacock app and that's coming from someone who's a pro wrestling fan and they've got all the WWE content on it. Uh, I don't enjoy the Peacock, Peacock app at all. It's hard to navigate. It doesn't, it's not intuitive for live events. Um, and frankly, if you have the office on DVD, which I do, there's absolutely no reason to watch the Peacock app unless you want the live sports that they're failing to show you properly. So, uh, that's going away as soon as the Olympics are over, but I've got it for now, and I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, well, I've been enjoying—let uh, me correct that. I've been enjoying the Olympics quite a bit. I haven't been enjoying the Peacock app quite a bit. The Peacock app is not worth the $5 they charge you, so, uh, I won't be charged that in March, and, uh, we'll all be happy from here on out. Um... I think that's it. I think that's the stuff that I want to update you on, so I'll just tell you what websites you should be going to if you like the show. If you do like the show, there's a companion blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com that you can go to for photos and additional information and stuff like that. It's sort of your homepage for the show. Uh, I like posting stuff there a lot, and there's a player there. You can look at the photos and, and listen to me talk while you do it. If uh, you, uh, what am I saying? The show itself. 
itself, sorry, there's that COVID brain still firing poorly. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. If you want to know more about me, go on over to derekbrink.com. There's a lot of stuff to click on there, mostly about my musical career. The show, of course, is available on your podcast app of choice, including Spotify for now. We'll see about that in the future. Don't really support Spotify personally, but it's on there for now. Um, what else? Uh, if you like the music that you hear, th- hear throughout the show, it's all available for the low, low price of absolutely free over at derekbrink.bandcamp.com. All you have to do is enter zero as your purchase price and you can take it. I won't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. And if you have questions, comments, concerns, objections, rebuttals, etc., etc., that you would like to send to me, you can do that at db, those are my initials, Derek Brink, db at derekbrink.com, and I reply to everybody there as long as you're not a complete jerk, and uh, I will sometimes read your mail on the show, which we're actually going to do today. We're going to read a few pieces of uh, checkmate mail or check mail, as I have decided to call it in this episode, and we'll forget about by the next time we do that segment. Fell in love too young and you thought it was a keeper. Nice hair, nice smile, and the passion of a preacher who prayed for you. You thought that you would found yourself a man of your dreams. The prayer's just another way of stating your opinion. Thinking out loud with everybody listening. You might have known it changes tone, but sex is just as good as it seems. Okay, it's time to read a little bit of check mail. These are a few emails from people out there who were kind enough to write me, or upset enough to write me, or what have you. A little bit of email that I thought I'd read on the show. Of course, if you do submit a question to me uh, through my email... I have the right to read that on the show. It's my property at that point. I will never reveal your email address. I will reveal a name if you give it to me, but first names only, uh, unless it's like an obviously fake name. Like in the past, I had somebody write in as Percy Weasley from Hogwarts. So, Like clearly that's not an actual person, unless there is a Percy Weasley and there is a Hogwarts, which there probably is. What was I, uh, anyway, some people have emailed in. If you do email in, I might read your thing on the show as I'm about to do now, and I might read your name if you give it to me. It's just worth stating that. Uh, I will always reply to you if you email, and you're not just a complete jerk. Like, apparently in one episode recently, this is an example, this isn't like something I'm answering exactly on the show, But apparently in some episode recently, I said something negative about the Matrix movies. Uh, Because I'm not a fan of the Matrix movies, they're just not for me. Uh, I just didn't get into them. You know, whatever. I I guess I probably just offhandedly said something like, Oh, the Matrix movies, which are terrible, you know, or something like that. Just a throwaway nothing line. I got an email from somebody that the subject line was, The Matrix movies don't suck. And the body of the email was just the word douchebag, <laughs> which actually made me laugh. I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, that someone spent the energy to do that, and that's hilarious. Uh, didn't reply to that person. But if you, uh, if you write things to me and uh, if there's something to talk about, we can talk about it. Or uh, I'll at least send you a thank you or something, usually. Um, I should tell you, by the way, my 
website was down for a little bit over the weekend. I think the 5th and part of the 6th, my website was down. So if anybody emailed me during that time, there's a good chance I didn't get your email. So sorry about that. You might want to resend it. But uh, let's read a few that I did get. These are from Checkmates Like You, and uh, I wanted to talk about these things. So we're going to. The uh, first one I want to read comes to us from someone identifying herself, and I think you'll understand why by the end of this email, identifying herself as Harrison Girl, spelled G-U-R-L, which I choose to believe is a reference to the big star song uh, September Girls, and uh, not just a typo. But Harrison Girl from uh, Melbourne, or Melbourne, I uh, if that's Australia, that's pretty cool that I'm being heard in Australia. Hi, Australian checkmates. Nice to... Uh, uh, Aussie, 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 and all that. Um, Harrison Girl writes, uh, some other stuff, some intro stuff, but then she gets into, I really enjoyed listening to your episode on Get Back, the Beatles documentary that Peter Jackson did that everybody in the world saw. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to your episode on Get Back. I particularly appreciated that you brought attention to John Lennon's terrible treatment of women, which needs to be said. Do you ever, do you ever, sorry folks, do you ever feel conflicted about liking his music while not liking him as a person? I've thought about it a lot, and while I still listen to the Beatles, I mostly listen for George. And that's from Harrison Girl. She listens for George, so she's Harrison Girl. I got it. Uh, so I'm explaining it to the rest of you. Uh, Harrison Girl, thank you for your email. Uh, you said some nice things outside of the paragraph that I just read that I really appreciated, and I replied to you and said thanks and stuff like that. Um, yeah, John Lennon is a uh, is a difficult difficult subject. He's he's kind of hard to discuss. Um, I'll tell you, I don't really feel conflicted about liking his music because my entire, for the expanse of my entire life, save a few months, John Lennon has been dead. Uh, he died in 1980. I was born in 1980. I was born in May. He died in December. Uh, so there's, I, I, at any time that I've bought a Beatles or John Lennon solo record, at no point has my money gone to someone who has been abusive. Uh, to my knowledge, except for obviously record store, or, or sorry, record uh, label executives. Um, but John Lennon has not personally directly uh, benefited from any of my purchases. So on that level, I don't feel bad about it. Uh, in the same way that if Gary Glitter, noted pedophile Gary Glitter, if he were to die today, this weekend, I might go out to my local record store and buy something with Leader of the Gang on it because that's a great song that I don't currently have in my collection, but I don't want to give Gary Glitter any money for it. So it's, it's kind of on that level just to begin with. But also John Lennon's a little bit more complicated than that because John Lennon, I really think battled with the demons inside of him. And I think that they were brought to the forefront by his drug use. Now, we all know that being an addict to something, being an addict to drugs or drink or something like that, the chemical doesn't make you do anything. It just lets you, as the Drive-By Truckers song says. Uh, so we all know that that was inside of him and the, and the, the drugs just let it come out. But at the same time, uh, you know, heroin addict does something shitty while on heroin is a much different read than completely sober guy wanted to do something shitty and didn't, you know? And uh, Lennon, during the years where he was 
uh, a little bit more straight, at least not on the really hard narcotics. He seemed to be a better person, and I think Yoko Ono made him a better person in a lot of ways. Uh, during his lost summer or lost year, depending on how you, on which uh, biographer you believe, um, during his worst addiction uh, moments, he uh, uh, Yoko Ono was afraid that he was falling out of love with her and recommended that he had an affair. And he said, yeah, okay, and had an affair and was apparently abusive to the woman with whom he had, he had the affair. Uh, Yoko Ono herself, to my knowledge, has never reported any abuse. Um, I don't entirely know what to make of that. I do think that a lot of his worst qualities were greatly amplified by drug use in a way that was horrible and in no way excusable, but it is explainable in that way. Um, I've certainly known a lot of people who have been on substances that have done things on those substances that they never would have done if they weren't on them. And I, I think John Lennon falls into that category. What I'm saying here is that, yes, J John Lennon was horrible in that way. I think he genuinely wanted to be better, and I think that when he was a little bit straighter, he genuinely was better, and I think Yoko Ono made him better. And I really think that if he hadn't been murdered by a lunatic, he would probably be a much different and more repentant and uh, more contrite person today than he was at the time. And uh, um, there's, there's a difference between somebody who is unapologetic about who they are and somebody who knows who they are and hates it. Um, every addict I've ever known who has sought treatment has sought treatment because they want to be better. Uh, every addict that I know who has not sought treatment has not sought treatment but wanted to be better. And I think that John Lennon, had he gotten the help that he needed, and when he had the help that he needed, and when he had the support that he needed, uh, and when he made the right decisions that he needed to make, because absolutely none of those decisions depend on anybody but him, uh, when John Lennon had his head together, I think he was a much better person than when he didn't, and I think he confronted that part of himself uh, better than when he was uh, off his ass. And I think probably he was off of his ass because he really didn't like himself when he looked at his behavior. Um, so yeah, total douchebag, but a repentant douchebag, and that's better than being an unrepentant douchebag, is kind of where I fall on John Lennon. Uh, like I said, though, he's been dead for my entire lifetime, so it would save, what, six months, seven months? So uh, it's a little bit of a different situation. I'm in a position where I'm allowed to just appreciate the genius of his art, of which there was a lot of genius. Uh, I don't feel conflicted by saying that one of the greatest Christmas songs ever written is, ha is Happy Xmas War is Over. Uh, I don't feel conflicted by saying Imagine is a great song, or that God is a great song, or so on from his solo career. I don't feel bad about listening to any of the Beatles stuff. But uh, there is uh, one of those things where you don't... When I when I dwell on the Beatles, I... I much prefer thinking about Paul than I do John, I guess. 
So all of that is a very long answer to say, yes, I feel the conflict of, of thinking about his personality, but when I listen to his music, I just enjoy the hell out of his music. Uh, I hope all of that's okay. I hope all of that's understandable. Ultimately, it comes down to, I know that my money has never gone to support someone who has hit a woman. At least in, in, in that particular situation. Uh, and I feel okay about that. I feel good about that. If John Lennon were alive today, it may be a more intricate conversation. Thanks uh, for your email, Harrison Girl. That uh, is definitely a subject that's worth thinking about and worth talking about. Anybody who's a Beatles fan should be thinking about these things. Um, it's 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 interesting, and it's a hard subject because you want to just say, nah, it's fine, but it's not. And, you know, we all know that. And, I mean, every show, I one of the things I say is that women's rights are human rights, and I believe that with all of my heart. And I want to believe that if John Lennon were alive today, he would believe that too and would have addressed some of the issues that he needed to address. I think he really wanted to, and I just think that by the time he died in 1980, we weren't there yet as a culture. But I think he would be okay now. That's just my guess from not knowing the guy. But uh, thank you for that email, Harrison Girl, from Melbourne, and uh, that's, uh, that's definitely a subject worth everybody taking time to explore and think about. If anybody wants to email me about that and talk about it more, you can do that at, at db at derekbrink.com. I would be glad to be corrected on anything that I need to be corrected on. I'm always willing to learn and grow and change. Uh, I just sometimes might need some things explained to me. So if you would like to do that, please feel free to, and I will be glad to listen. Uh, thank you again, Harrison Girl. That was a very good email. We have another very good email from someone identifying himself as Tom from St. Louis. He spells it T-H-O-M, by the way. Uh, I've only run into that a couple of times, and it's neither of the guys that I know, from what I can tell. But uh, T-H-O-M, Thom, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure he hears all the time, Tom from St. Louis, uh, among other things, says, uh, well, not really among other other things. He said, hi, Derek, and then launched into this. In your top 10 of 2021 episode, you panned Jason Isbell's Georgia Blue. I normally either agree with your opinions on music when you're talking about stuff I like and will give stuff you like that... Wait, wait a minute, hang on. Did I miss a comma or something? Nope. Uh, and you're, let me start that again. Sorry, folks. Uh, Tom, my apologies for, uh, um, if that sounds like I'm, I'm criticizing you. I, I just, I thought that I missed something there. Let me try that. That was the COVID brain. That was not criticism. Let me try again. In your top 10 of 2021 episode, you panned Jason Isbell's Georgia Blue. I normally either agree with your opinions on music when you're talking about stuff that I like, and will give, I think he meant or, will give stuff you like that I've never heard of a listen on Spotify. Okay, so up to there he's saying, I either agree with you or if I don't know the stuff that you're talking about, I'll listen to it. That's what he said there. Sorry, folks, I had to parse that. Uh, Tom continues, but when I heard you say you didn't like Georgia Blue, I wanted to know what you're smoking so I don't accidentally buy any. It's great, and it was for a great cause. Bad take. Uh, thanks for your email, Tom. Uh, don't love your tone. Uh, I could tell you I wasn't smoking anything. I don't touch that shit. I just don't. I mean, it's fine with me if other people do, but it's not for me. Um, 
even though it's getting more and more legal and honestly there may come a day where my back is in a situation where I would benefit from it I don't touch the stuff not now I don't, it's not a recreational thing for me so I wasn't smoking anything to address your condescending little question there but uh, I uh, I don't even take as much issue with that as I do with you saying bad take because uh, bad take is uh, a really insulting way of saying that you don't agree Tom I don't love it when people say bad take because that it's not a bad take. It's just my opinion. And you disagree with my opinion. And your opinion is different. And if I'm on my side of it, I think your opinion is a bad take. But I'm not going to boil you down to just that, to just those words. So please, please remove that phrase from your vocabulary. Because bad take, that's a bad take. All right, buddy? Uh, but I do want to address what you said about the Jason Isbell record, because I think I may have shortchanged it a little, and you're fair enough to be defending it. Uh, I'm still not a big fan of the album, but I have listened to it more since my Top 10 episode, and I have some thoughts that I would like to share on it. The Jason Isbell Georgia Blue album, one of the things Tom said in his email was that it was uh, for a great cause, the way that it came about was during the last election when it looked like the state of Georgia might turn blue and, and go for Joe Biden and might, you know, have some hope for the Senate race. Jason, Jason Isbell on election night said, hey, if Georgia turns blue, I'm going to release a cover album of entirely songs from musicians out of Georgia, something like that. And then the state went blue and Jason was good to his word and released a cover album of songs entirely by bands out of Georgia, and uh, uh, he the proceeds of that go to charity. So yeah, it's, it's a good cause and a good reason for doing it and all that. I absolutely agree with you there, Tom, and I agree with anybody who feels that way. Uh, what I'm puzzled by is the is, is just some of the delivery of the album, because it's a, it's a track list that I don't quite... Like, it's not the track list I would have put together, or that I think many of us who think of Georgia music might have put together. Some of you would have, and that's okay. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not mad about that. Uh, and also, by the way, the album sounds great. It's sonically beautiful. It's nice and crisp and even and clear and, and well-rounded. It's a really good sounding album. It just doesn't work for me as a Jason Isbell album. And I think when somebody inherently does a cover album, they know that they're going to get a little bit of that reaction from their crowd. That's why it's a cover album, and they're, you know, it's done usually pretty quickly. Um, Jason Isbell on this album, here's some of the bands that he, well, here's all of the bands that he chose to to cover. Starts off with an R.E.M. song. Makes sense. I'd have gone with R.E.M. too. He then hits Driving and Crying, James Brown. James Brown makes sense to me. Cat Power. Uh, Precious Bryant, who I haven't, I don't think I know them. Uh, Otis Redding, makes sense. Uh, although, a different Otis Redding song than I would have used. Does a Black Crows song, in fact, does one of my favorite Black, Black Crows songs, and does a very good job of it. Does a song by the Indigo Girls, which is kind of a surprise. Uh, does a song by Now It's Overhead, who I am completely unfamiliar with. Does a Gladys Knight song, makes sense. Does an Almond Brothers song, makes sense. Uh, does a Vic Chestnut song, which Vic Chestnut is an interesting choice because Vic Chestnut is no longer with us and recorded a couple albums that were really 
uh, influential to guys like Jason Isbell and guys of the Americana genre. He makes a lot of sense. He's just not a name that a lot of people are familiar with. And I think part of the goal of of covering one of his songs was to get a few more people familiar with his stuff. So I, I get Vic Chestnut being there. But then closes with another R.E.M. song. Uh, which, that's just kind of an odd list of artists. And even of the artists that I agree with, the Otis Redding song is I've Been Loving You Too Long. You know? And like... The R.E.M. songs are Night Swimming, which is a good song. And uh, what was the other one? Hang on, let me pull that up on my phone. See, the other R.E.M. song, I don't even remember which one that that he did, because it's not one of the R.E.M. songs that comes immediately to mind. Uh, Give me a second here. Uh, Jay on my phone for Jason. A uh, professional show would have been ready with this information. Uh, ends with Driver 8 by R.E.M., which is actually a pretty good song, but it's not one of the go-to R.E.M. songs for me anyway. Where was Ray Charles? How do you do a Georgia-based album and not have Georgia on my mind on it? Where was Ray Charles? Where the hell was Ray Charles? Where was Little Richard? Where was Chet Atkins? Where were the Georgia fucking satellites? Part of me wants him to do Ray Stevens' The Streak. You know, do you really not want to hear Jason Isbell do Jason do uh, uh, Ray Stevens' The Streak? That would have been great. Uh, how about a B-52s song? If you're going to do the Indigo Girls, how about a B-52s song? Fred Schneider was playing clubs in Georgia, and he was gay. And Fred Schneider is the bravest musician in the world. You're not going to pay tribute to him, but you're going to do bands I've never heard of. Uh, I sound madder about this than I am. I'm just wondering where some of the... Some of the other artists are. And, like, why is Georgia on my mind not on there? Uh, he actually does have Midnight Train to Georgia on there. Good choice. Uh, he's got an Almond Brothers song on there that's 12 minutes long. I'm Here's a controversial take, folks. I'm not an Almond Brothers fan. I saw them once in, like, 1996, and I assume that the show might be ending any time now. It was just long and tedious. I just, I'm not a jam band guy. So a 12-minute Almond Brothers song I'm going to shrug my shoulders at, but that's not his fault. The Almond Brothers do belong on this album. But even even if I didn't have problems with the particular artists or songs chosen, because I'm obviously the playlist I'm going to draw up isn't going to be the same list that he's going to draw up, isn't going to be the same list that you're going to draw up. If we're all doing the same project, we're going to end up with a different track list. And I can respect that, and I can get into that, and I can understand where... He's going to do a few songs by people that I haven't heard of or I'm not as familiar with to try and get them a little bit of attention. That's admirable, and I get it. Uh, The thing that bothers me most about it is less any of that than it is that of the, what, 13, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 songs on the album, Jason Isbell sings on six He sings lead on six of the 13 songs. It's a Jason Isbell album, and he doesn't sing on the majority... He doesn't sing lead, I should say, on the majority of the album. Now, I don't mind if he wants to give a song to Sadler Vaden, his guitar player. That makes sense. I definitely don't mind if he wants to give a song to Amanda Shires, who's his wife and constant background vocalist and fiddle player. I definitely don't mind that. But there's... 
seven songs on here where Jason Isbell isn't singing lead. It, it might be eight because I'm not entirely sure of if one of the songs, like the guy who's guesting on it, might just sing a lot like him. I don't want to buy a Jason Isbell record and listen to someone else sing, man. It's it's rare that you're going to see a band named after a guy where that guy isn't the main singer. Jay Giles' band comes screaming to mind. But I, I, if, 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 if I'm buying a Jason Isbell record, I want to hear Jason Isbell sing. I want to hear him doing Midnight Train to Georgia. I don't want to hear whoever he brought in. I don't remember who was singing on that. I skip it every time. I listen to the songs that he sung on. Actually, to tell you the truth, I listen to Night Swimming, and I listen to uh, Sometimes Salvation, and I listen to Vic Chestnut's I'm Through, and that's where I leave it. Um, again, it's beautifully recorded. It sounds great. It's a very solid album sonically. I have trouble calling it a Jason Isbell album because he's just not present enough on it. I'm sure he is in the guitar tone, but how can I tell what's him and what's Sadler Vaden? You know? Like, that's my complaint with it. That's why it didn't make my top ten. Well, it wouldn't have made my top ten because it's a cover album as well, but... I, 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 I get it. I get why he did it. I support why he did it. I get why people like it. It's just not for me, for all of the reasons that I stated, Tom. And I don't think that's a bad take. I just think it's my take. And I wasn't smoking a damn thing. So that's where I'm going to leave that one. Thank you, Tom, for your email. I did reply to you, and I said much of the same things, and you have not replied back yet, and I understand why. I hope you're still listening. I hope that that wasn't too critical of you, but I didn't really appreciate the way you worded some of that. Although I do think that you had a valid point in there in offering a consenting... Uh, consenting? Uh, uh, not consenting. Uh... Uh, well, an alternative view to mine on that album. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad there's a lot of people out there who like it. Look, anything that gets more people listening to Jason Isbell is good in my book. That one just isn't for me. And that's okay, because he's got another, like, ten albums out there that are for me. Plus the drive-by trucker stuff that he did. So, we're good. Alright? So, uh, there's my full review of Georgia Blue, I guess, because <laughs> I didn't really do one last year, but there, there it is now. Uh, I've got one more e email here to read, one more piece of check mail to read to y'all, and uh, it's a little bit more of a fun one, at least for me, and uh, I wanted to end on this. The person who sent this, I actually know who this is based on their email, but they didn't actually put their name on it, so I'm not going to read a name. See, I'm nice that way. Uh, but they wrote, uh, I follow you on Facebook and saw you talking about banned books in, lights of, in, in light of what's happening on school boards all over the place. Could you go into some detail about banned books on the show and maybe tell us what a, f what a few of your favorite banned books are? I love that question. Uh, some of you out there in Checkmate land? Empty land? I'm not going to come up with a name for that. Some of you out there listening to this might not know that uh, the person you're listening to right now is a former librarian. I'm a former librarian. I used to work in a library. And uh, libraries are constantly under pressure about their collections. The particular library that I worked at was a library in a Christian college. 
and uh, you can imagine what kind of restrictions we were working under. Uh, in fact, at one point, uh, there was a book, I won't specifically say who, because uh, I, I feel like he's small enough of a man that he might sue me if uh, if his name got out there, but uh, uh, there was a particular book in our collection that a uh, an administrator of the college came to me and asked me to remove from the collection. Why did he want it removed, you may ask, which I also asked? Uh, because the pastor who had written it had recently been revealed to have had an affair. Not any kind of salacious, ugly, illegal affair. There were no no kids involved or anything like that. He just cheated on his wife, as happens from time to time. Not admirable. I don't support that. I don't think people should do that. I believe in loyalty and in faithfulness and and in monogamy, uh, which I'm sure at some point in the future is going to get me in trouble with all the polyamory people. Like, at one point, I'm going to be the the horrible old prejudiced man talking about monogamy with all the polyamory going on in the world. But I, I, I get that. But I, I basically believe in monogamy and I, I don't admire the fact that this gentleman had an affair. His book wasn't about faithfulness and marriage. His book was about the concept of God and God being good. And I don't think having a personal moral failing necessarily invalidates anything that you think about God. In fact, in some cases, it might help amplify your understanding of grace, which is, of course, not in any way condoning going out and just sinning for sinning's sake or anything like that, all of you theologians out there, all six of you. Um, but yeah, this, this college administrator came to me and told me to take that book out of our collection because that was not a man who should be in our collection because he had an affair. Well, first of all, if you went through any given library and removed all of the books from people who have had extramarital sex, you're not going to have a damn book left in the library. I'm sorry, but you're not. Uh, so there's that. But also, I got to say, no, I'd... I, I'm familiar with the book that, that you're talking about. I'm familiar with the author and what happened. The book does not address those issues. I don't think that it's, you know, I don't think that what he said is invalidated by what he did. Also, by coincidence, one of your professors who you hired uh, has that book on his reserved reading lists for his students. It's in his syllabus as one of the books that they should read for completion of his class. So I can't remove it. So I got to say no to uh, someone telling me to ban a book from the library collection. So I, I, I worked as a librarian, and I got to, as a librarian, say no to a powerful person about removing a book from our collection. And that's essentially what banned books are all about, is a library, usually academic in nature, being told by someone in authority, usually in the cases that we're currently seeing, a school board or similar, that you can't have these books in your collection. We don't want our kids exposed to these books. And usually those books are considered classics and are prize winners and have information in them that you're not going to get out of a textbook. They're somebody's, typically somebody's true story, or they're a story that is so culturally significant, even though fictional, that it is considered a classic. Those are typically the books that end up being banned. 
Among banned books are uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, George Orwell's 1984. What else? Uh, a whole bunch of Toni Morrison books. Uh, Beloved is on there. Uh, the Bluest Eye is on there. Um, books like that are books that typically get banned. Just any book that has maybe a little bit of salacious or uh, uh, graphic content to it that some school or library somewhere says, well, we don't, we don't want the kids to read the F word, or we don't want the kids to read about sex, do we? The kids, by the way, usually are teenagers or, or greater, and they've absolutely heard the F word, and they absolutely know what sex is. I hate to tell you this, if you've got a, t a kid over 10 years old, they know what sex is, even if they've got some of the details wrong. They, they know a lot more than you think they do. They're not going to be horrified by The Catcher in the Rye, which is also a typical banned book. Uh, there are some books that are banned by different organizations uh, sort of historically and classically and regularly, and there are some books that make the list anew every year. One of the books that is on... Uh, that has been in conversation this year is the book Mouse. It's actually a graphic novel, M-A-U-S, Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Uh, what that book is, is it's a graphic novel, comic book, representation of Art Spiegelman's, I believe, parents. It's been a little bit since I've read it. Sorry if I get any of the details wrong. Uh, it's the story of his parents who were imprisoned during World War II because they were Jewish, and in the book, the Jews are portrayed as mice, and the Nazis are portrayed as cats. And uh, it's all about, I mean, it's his family's story, is what it is. And certain school boards, including some of those here in the uh, lovely and trashy state of Missouri, have said, no, you, you, we don't want kids to read about the Holocaust, you know, the thing that's in their history class. We don't want kids to read someone's true account of that. One of the things, incidentally, uh, that is uh, that has been noted as objectionable in Mouse is that some of the mice are at one point naked. They're fucking mice. And uh, so, like, but the school boards have a problem with the fact that mice are naked. Looking like every mouse you've ever seen. I don't know either, but that's why that that book is getting banned in some school districts. That and because, you know, the racists don't want you to know about racism. Um, so that they can better convert you to racism. That's how these things work. That's the basic concept of banned books. There is, in this country, there has not really been any federal mandate banning any particular book. Although certainly certain presidents have spoken out against books. Uh, the Reagan and Bushes come to mind. Uh, there have certainly been presidents who have been anti-information and things like that, but there has not been any real federal movement to ban any books in this country. There are in some other countries, obviously, in fact, in many other countries. But when we say banned books in this country, it puts in people's heads that, oh, the government is trying to keep this information out of our hands. It's not usually the government. In fact, I don't think there's a strong example of it being the government in this country. It's usually a school board. It's usually an independent library, that kind of thing. Um, on the subject of banned books, I do think that any individual given library, given you know organization, has a right to say, eh, we're not going to carry that one. 
I I do think that they have the right to do that, but to have a mandate go out is a completely different situation. Every library and every bookstore you've ever been to has some books that are inherently banned just because the person who's placing the order is looking at the list and goes, well, I'm not going to order that one. That's a terrible book. I'm not ordering that one. So on some level, absolutely every organization you've ever shopped at or patronized has banned a book because somebody doing the ordering decided they weren't going to order it. But it's a completely different thing to have to be a library, to be a, an academic library particularly, and have a school board tell you, we don't want people to have access to this information. That's crossing the line. Uh, it's a difficult line to explain. It's a difficult line to, to kind of reconcile because, yes, any given organization can make the decision that, well, we're not going to... Uh, the Christian college that I worked at, well, we're not going to put Fifty Shades of Grey on the shelves because that is in direct conflict with what our organization is. That's one thing. But to then say, well, this guy had an affair and everything about it was completely legal, just some feelings got hurt, remove him from your from your collection. From an administrator, that's a completely different subject. That's banning something. That's not just choosing not to put it out there. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. That's the basic concept of banned books. Uh, the unnamed person asked me for a few of my favorite banned books. Uh, I actually put a picture out on my social media that answers this question pretty well. I would put Mouse on there, which I've already talked about. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, of course. I'm a huge Vonnegut fan. Uh, the Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, one of my favorite books. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird is regularly banned because it discusses rape, or false accusations thereof, anyway. Uh, Toni Morrison's uh, Beloved is great, The Scarlet Letter is great, 1984 is great. Uh, pretty much if somebody tells you that a book is on the banned book list, it's probably worth your time to read because it's probably a classic and there are probably reasons that it's a classic. Um, I don't know. It's a shame that it happens, but it has always happened. Banned books are nothing new. Banned books were a thing when I was a librarian, which was, let's see, I left that job in 2009 and it's now 2022. Jesus, I'm getting old, kids. Uh, but so it's been a thing since then. It's been a thing in the '90s and the '80s. I'm sure in the '70s and '60s and so on. There's always somebody saying, "Well, we, we can't let people read this. If people read this, then they'll have read it." Basically, because uh, most of the most of the books out there that get put on banned lists don't have any content that will cause anybody to do anything. The worst. I may censor this word, even though I don't very often uh, anymore on the show. I don't censor a lot, but the worst anybody's going to do after reading some of these books is they might masturbate. That's the worst that might happen. If they're really hard up for internet porn, like their connection's not working that day, they can't get to Pornhub, maybe after reading one of the passages in The Scarlet Letter, they might just, well, that'll do the job. You know, and they have absolutely no other imagination uh, outside of that. They they can't imagine what 
a naked person might look like if they don't read about it first. Like that person, you know, maybe that person might be a little bit impacted by some of these books. Not most of us. Most of us will have just read the book and gone, oh, the story was okay. You know? That's kind of the end of it, usually. But that's that's the concept of banned books. Those are a few of my favorite banned books. Uh, Dear unknown email writer and all of the rest of you as well. Um, I don't know. I feel like I said a lot there and started chasing down a lot of uh, a lot of you know rabbit holes that I didn't get to the end of because my brain still doesn't work because of COVID. Uh, so sorry, everybody, I guess for this segment or at least this uh, particular question, but I, uh, I appreciated the question. I, I like having the opportunity to talk about stuff like this and, uh, I hope maybe a few of you out there learned something and maybe added a few books to your reading list. So, um, that's, uh, that's the end of the old mailbag here. That's the end of the check mail. We got a few more segments we're going to do, but I want to thank everybody for writing in. If you uh, want to write in and risk either hearing a uh, rambly, nonsensical, non-end tying up rant like you just got out of me, or you want to be mildly chided like that Tom guy was, uh, feel free to do that at db at derekbrink.com, and I will read your email and reply to it and possibly read it on the show. Uh, but please, folks, no bad takes. of myself. I'm not entirely sure why I'm so irritated by the phrase bad take, but I just am. It just seems insulting. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about some uh, TV shows here. I've been... Once I came down with COVID, I just started watching a lot of old TV shows, just sort of the old favorites, the old warm fuzzies, and uh, I want to talk to you about some of that stuff, because I, I don't know when it's going to come up again, but I want to talk about just some of the stuff that I was watching while I've been sick, and some of the stuff I've continued watching after I've started getting better, and have, I'm mostly better, just my brain won't, the fog won't clear. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I want to talk about just old TV. There's a lot of old TV I've been watching lately. Uh, one of the things on here feels terrible to call old TV, cause it, even because it's still airing, but it, it started in the 90s. Uh, but uh, I want to talk about just some stuff that is, most of this is from the 80s, uh, yeah, or 80s and very early 90s, and is just stuff that has meant a lot to me over the years, and just want to give you kind of a look into that part of my life, and into and, and kind of the nonsense TV that I like to put on, and maybe not even 100% pay attention to, but I just kind of, it's there, and it's comforting, and I know the jokes, and I know the beats, and that kind of stuff, and I guess the best place to start with that is I've been going back because I've got Disney Plus, and I've also got the old DVDs, so I don't know why I waited for Disney Plus for this, but I've been going back, and I've been watching the very early seasons of The Simpsons. 
The Simpsons is one of my favorite things ever. I have seen every episode of The Simpsons, even up to the current day. Well, not quite up to the current day. I'm a little bit behind because of uh, various situations. I need to do a little bit of catching up. But uh, I've, for all intents and purposes, I've seen every episode, or will very soon. And uh, just the whole run of the show as a series, I've been in. When I started watching The Simpsons, I was the same age as Bart which means Bart should be 41 <laughs> right now. Um, and uh, it's just, it's been there in my life for such a long time. I remember when The Simpsons was horrifying to adults and people were wondering what we were doing, what was society becoming, that there's there's a cartoon where they say things like damn and hell, and sometimes it's a kid saying the word hell, a nine-year-old or ten-year-old kid who definitely knows the word hell. There's another thing for those of you who are worried about the books that your kids are reading. Uh, they have definitely seen worse on YouTube and network television. But, but like, I remember when The Simpsons debuted with their Christmas special. Actually, I remember, I even remember them being on the Tracy Ullman show. Like, it goes back that far. But I remember the Christmas special and watching that with my family and watching the first season and for several seasons with my family and I started rewatching some old Simpsons and just kind of, just kind of reveling in those old jokes and that old, perfect formula that they had that was just so funny and at the time so acerbic and so different than anything else that you would see. Which now it seems almost quaint because we've had, I mean, you know, South Park has come and gone in that time. Uh, well, I guess South Park's still around too, but you know what I mean. Uh, you know, it, it seems almost quaint what The Simpsons were in the early days, but I've uh, I've been watching some of that old stuff, and by watching, I mean turning it on in the background and doing other stuff largely until it's one of the episodes that I really remember loving, and then I'll tune in, like the uh, the one where Marge does a musical version of Streetcar Named Desire. Like I was all over that, uh, but for the most part, The Simpsons have been playing in the background a lot as I've been doing other stuff, and. I just love those old seasons. I've I'm up through about season five right now of thirty something. I think thirty two, thirty three. Is that what we're up to? So it's it's going at a pretty good clip in my world. And you know, you watch it on Disney Plus or whatever. Those episodes are streamlined down to about twenty two, twenty three minutes. So it, it you can watch several in a sitting and be fine. Uh, it's just been nice. You know, it's been nice going back to those old episodes and kind of remembering, man, I was I was 11 when I watched this the first time, and it's still in my head, and I still know all of the beats and all of the jokes, and uh, and there there are some of the jokes that I'm seeing now that I know I didn't get at the time that I definitely get now, and that's that's just such a rewarding experience, and I love The Simpsons, and I continue to love The Simpsons today. The show hasn't gotten any worse, you've just gotten used to it. Uh, in fact, the show's gotten in some ways better. The writing is uh, a lot tighter now, but um, I just love The Simpsons, and it's been so much fun watching the early stuff, and if you've got a Disney Plus subscription or access to the old DVDs, you should do that, and I've, I've been having a good time doing it myself. Another old favorite, old friend that uh, I started watching is I watched recently the entirety of the show Night Court, I love Night Court, and I loved Night Court at the time. It was on in the late 80s and very early 90s, and uh, I, I think I mentioned on this show when uh, Marky Post passed away, uh, what, last year? 
Uh, I think I mentioned, I don't remember if I said this on the show or if it was just on social media, actually, but I think that Marky Post was probably the first person that I ever actually had a crush on, like, in the world, um, <laughs> or at least the first celebrity. And uh, uh, I, I, I know that when Harry Anderson passed away a while ago, I paid tribute to him on this show in an episode, and uh, I, I just love that cast. We've also since lost uh, Charles Robinson, or Charlie Robinson, depending on how he liked to be credited at, at any particular time, uh, played Mac on the show. Uh, he's also since passed away, and it's, uh, uh, you know, you do kind of, that, that is sort of the bummer of getting, of watching your old favorites as you start realizing, wow, a lot of this cast is dead, you know, but it's, at the same time, it's, it's a very warm place and a very familiar and comfortable place. Night Court, if, if you don't know what Night Court is, because Night Court's one of those things that isn't shown on any channel anymore, uh, it's based around it's it's based around what it is what it sounds like it's a comedy that is that takes place in a cor- in a courtroom that works at night and it's sort of based around the judge and the attorneys and the bailiffs and and the people that are involved in the day to day runnings of the court now I will say that the actual law practice on the show is ancillary at best. It's mostly just a comedy about these people. It gets into character work really quickly. Uh, So if you're not familiar with that, it's currently on, I think, Hulu is where I watched it. And I just had a great time watching it. And and just sort of, I had forgotten that we don't really get the classic cast that we're all familiar with, that we all think of when you say Night Court. That wasn't really in place even until season three. And uh, so it's it's kind of an interesting transition to watch that all happen and unfold. It's it's like watching uh it's like watching the early years of a band where like you know Pete Best was playing drums for a while and then Ringo came along, you know it's 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 that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Night Court just an old favorite of mine and uh, another one that watching it I realized wow there is so much. Not even double entendre. There's just so much, like, uh, <laughs> there's so many dirty jokes in this that I just absolutely didn't get as a kid that I do now. And wow, this show's a lot funnier than I even realized as a kid. And as a kid, I knew it was funny. And it's one of those shows that plays to the adults and also plays to the kids really well. And I, I just, I, 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 I was watching it and just remembering all these episodes and like a couple of times going, oh yeah, that's where I learned that. And, like, that's why I know who Mel Torme is. And I really like Mel Torme, by the way. I need to get some of his stuff on recording. I've, I've uh, streamed some of his stuff in recent years, but I, I don't have anything. So, uh, But, yeah, Night Court has been, was really a companion of mine when I had the worst of my COVID, and it was the thing that I was digging into the deepest because it just felt comfortable and familiar. Uh, Night Court was a great show, and that's one of the other old TV shows that I've been kind of reveling in here lately. Uh, another one that I've been reveling in quite a bit uh, is more recent. Well, not it's not uh, by way of when it came out, but it was a more recent thing for me. Uh, I was up late one night and I was just flipping around the TV stations like I rarely do anymore because we've got so much streaming media and so many DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff. I rarely find myself just scrolling through the TV guide, but I was doing that. And I stumbled upon the station Me TV, which is here in St. Louis, and shows just some of those old TV shows like Nick at Night used to do, but some of them are a little bit more current. 
and uh, one of the shows that they were showing, and it was a marathon of it. So I watched, I think, like a season and a half in the in in like a sitting. I watched a bunch of Mama's Family. I love Mama's Family. I can't believe I don't have a DVD set of the complete Mama's Family. That is something I'm going to correct in my life because I have failed myself. Mama's Family is one of the great all-time shows, starring Vicki Lawrence and Ken Berry and Dorothy Lyman and Beverly Archer and Alan Higgins and various other people over time's uh, including Betty White and uh, uh, Carol Burnett at one point. Uh, it's a great cast. It's just a great cast. Uh, it, it's it's uh, based on an old sketch that was on the Carol Burnett show that's just a family, a dysfunctional, weird, goofy, southern family, just and their misadventures in being a family. And there's a lot of family tension, but it, there's also a lot of love and a lot of kindness and a lot of forgiving and a lot of support, uh, but also a lot of calling each other idiots and uh, <laughs> and occasionally biffing each other in the face with a frying pan by accident. Um, I, it's, it's a show that has so much over-the-top humor that they can get away with biffing each other in the face with a frying pan occasionally by accident, uh, but it also has so much heart that especially if you came from a southern family, you see a little bit of your own family in it, and you kind of go, "Oh yeah, that's that's like my grandma and, and my great aunts and stuff." That's like kind of the level that it appeals to me on. But it's also just off the wall zany humor and just funny stuff and 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 fun, just good turns of phrase and stuff and fun catchphrases and things like that. And uh, Mama's family is. Uh, Mama's family is chicken soup for my uh, fucked up little soul, uh, which is, you couldn't name a book that, uh, probably. Um, <laughs> does anybody other than me remember the old chicken soup for the soul books? That's what I was referencing just now. Uh, Mama's family really feels like a warm hug to me. It's a sweater that I wrap around myself and I feel comfortable and warm and I'm going to take a nap in my chair in my nice warm sweater and I'm going to pull a blanket up over my legs because my legs are still cold because they're not wrapped in the sweater but the rest of me is in the sweater and I'm going to take a nice nap and it's going to be nice and refreshing and warm and comforting and feel like home and that's exactly how Mama's Family makes me feel and it also makes me laugh my ass off. It's a great show and it was such a pleasure to bump into on MeTV when I bumped into it that I've gone out of my way to, like, find more episodes of it uh, also on MeTV and go, okay, I'm going to plan my day around that today, you know, and I'm going to watch that today. Uh, I'm going to make sure to make time to watch The Mama's Family. Uh, just a great show. I love it so much. And it's been... It's it's really made me happy to bump into it again, and I'm going to try to bump into those DVDs as soon as I can. I probably will have to order them off Amazon or Best Buy or something, one of the evil corporations out there in the world. Um, the last one that I want to talk about briefly is something that I uh, am doing that I'm actually also tweeting about when I'm doing it. I've been working my way through the Golden Girls series. Because when Betty White died, I tweeted out a joke about, uh, you know, Betty White went out giving Ryan Reynolds shit and, you know, sh we should all be so lucky. Something like that. 
and that tweet went semi-viral. Like, a bunch of people started, like, liking it and replying to it. It got quoted in an article. I don't know what happened there. It just went nuts. It just exploded. And I think at one point, I, I honestly, I had to turn off the notifications on that tweet on my phone because it just was overwhelming. I was like, I just posted things like, hey, everybody, I'm turning off the notifications on this. Thanks for reading. I'm not going to plug anything. You deserve better than that, is what I said on the tweet, and I just left it there. Uh, so I don't know what number it ultimately ended up at. Uh, I could probably look and find out. But I, I think I posted something like, if this gets to 300 likes or something like that, then I'm going to watch and live tweet the entirety of Golden Girls. And it hit it, and it hit it quick. And I've been watching uh, Golden Girls. It's been slow going, partially because I got COVID, and, you know, I wanted to be able to pay attention to it, basically. But uh, I've been watching Golden Girls, and Golden Girls is one of those things that I remember my grandma watching, and I remember my mom watching, that I remember being around, and there are episodes and beats and things that I remember from it, but I haven't really sat down and dedicatedly watched the show for most of my, uh, certainly adult life, but even as a kid, I don't know that I paid that much attention to it, even though... Watching it now, all the character types are right there, and I know exactly who they are, and it's 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 flowing exactly how I expect it to. There's no surprises with it, other than some of the jokes and some of the content, because there are... When you watch uh, shows from the 80s, you have to just accept that it was a different times, and there's going to be a lot of jokes about... Uh, gay people and race and uh, 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 little people and things like that, that uh, we just know better now than to say that uh, in the 80s it was kind of, uh, well, these marginalized groups, there's so few of them that it's it's funny. Uh, But no, these marginalized groups, there's few of them, and we need to make sure that everybody knows that that's fine, and we need to amplify their voices. So, like, times have just changed in that way. So you have to deal with a little bit of that. Uh, there, there's... In season one of The Golden Girls, there's a straight-up slave joke that happens from Blanche. Uh, that's inexcusable. Even then, it should have been inexcusable. But nevertheless, for the most part, I've been laughing and having a good time watching The Golden Girls... And sort of experiencing that in a way that I've never experienced it before. Because, again, I remember my grandma and my mom watching it, but I it wasn't it wasn't aimed at me. I mean, yeah, my you've if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard me say before, my mother died when I was 14 years old. So we're talking about, I mean, when the Golden Girls was on and knew she was watching it, and so was Grandma. Uh, not Grandma Brink, the other Grandma. And, uh, although Grandma Brink might have too, I don't know for sure, but I, I just remember it being around, and, like, that was for the grown-ups, but I still ended up seeing some of it, or a lot of it, and, you know, would end up seeing some of it in reruns over the years and things like that, but this is my first real dedicated watch of it, and I'm having a really good time while also cringing at some of the stuff they're saying, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's one of those experiences, but I've been mostly having a great time watching the Golden Girls in tribute to the late, great Betty White, who uh, may we all be so lucky as to live so long and so well as Betty White and to be as beloved as she was. And uh, I can't think of a better way to end this segment than to say uh, thanks, Betty White. Good job. Rest in peace. You certainly earned it. 
and I'm enjoying the hell out of the Golden Girls. So that's our uh, that's our old time TV update here for this particular episode of Empty Checking. Checkmates, we got uh, one more segment here before we do the outro. We're going to talk about a little bit of new music, mostly new music, uh, largely new music. Some of it's entirely new music. I'm going to talk about music. Uh, I have uh, four CDs here in my hand. You can maybe hear me shuffling those. You hear that? All right, anyway, I've got these four CDs in my hand, and three of them came out this year in 2022. Is that the year? Yes, 2022. Wow, sorry. It's uh, getting late here in in St. Louis. Uh, Three of them came out this year. One of them came out kind of last year and kind of this year and is also like a lot older than that. We'll get to that. It's going to be the last thing we're going to talk about. But we're going to barrel through some new music releases and uh, what I thought of them because that's a big part of what this show is. The first one I want to talk about is the new album by Elvis Costello, and the imposters called the boy named if now longtime devotees of the empty checking podcast will know that uh, the last elvis costello album that came out which was called hey Clockface," nothing i can do about that that's the name of the album hey Clockface." uh i was not that hot on in fact i think my review of it was i don't know what to do with this i'm not sure i even understand it was kind of my review of that album uh, so when The Boy Named If came out, which had a cover that is also apparently one that Elvis Costello painted himself, uh, I was thinking, well, I'm going to buy it because I love Elvis Costello. I hope it's different than the last one <laughs> and that I like it a little bit better and a little bit more immediately. Good news, kids. I liked it a lot better and immediately. I uh, first listened. I just thought, ah, that's the Elvis Costello that I want. It's uh, fans of, uh, or maybe not even fans, but listeners of his more recent work, other than Hey Clockface, might have heard some of the more recent Elvis Costello stuff and heard him kind of slowing down and getting a little bit more piano-based and a little bit jazzier and a little bit quieter and maybe sadder in tone. But The Boy Named If... This is the frantic, anarchic Elvis Costello that you fell in love with the first time that you heard Radio Radio. This is the Elvis Costello that has energy, that is fun, that is weird and different, but not so weird and different that it, you know, really throws you. It's uh, it's fun Elvis Costello, again. It's the Elvis Costello that I want to hear. My only criticism of this album is my particular copy. The uh, CD jacket is cut slightly too small and the cd hangs out from it that's a little bit of a problem i assume that's just me and not a design flaw for the entire run i think i just got lucky and got the one where it sticks out a little bit but uh other than that no complaints at all it's a great album i really really like it it's a very great elvis costello album it's a very great album it harkens back to the sound that you think of when you think elvis costello and that's always good news i highly recommend the boy named if 
and uh, give it a chance. Spend it on your streaming platform if you must, and then go buy a copy of it because you're going to want to after hearing it. Next album I want to talk about here very briefly is uh, the new album by Billy Talent called Crisis of Faith. Now, I'm a Billy Talent fan. I got in on their first album, which was called Billy Talent. I also enjoyed Billy Talent 2 and Billy Talent 3, and uh, the fourth album, which broke from that and was called something else. I want to say Dead Silence. Let's say it was Dead Silence. Kind of a blue cover with a TARDIS on it and some sharks. Uh, I, I loved that album, even though I can't think of the name of it exactly. Uh, great album. Uh, and I uh, uh, picked up the, al- the album before this one that just came out, I think it was called Afraid of Heights, and I listened to it and thought it was fine, but I just wasn't in the mood for it at the time, and I've honestly never really returned to it. And Crisis of Faith I picked up and listened to, and again, wasn't really in the mood for it, and <laughs> uh, it didn't quite, didn't quite hit me the right way, but I think it can get there. I, there's some really good stuff on here. It's no different from what I want from D- Billy Talent. It's about right. Although, it's a little bit... There's not as much edge, I've got to say, to some of the music. And one of the things that jumped out at me as I was reading the back of the cover was one of the songs says, Featuring Rivers Cuomo, who is one of the guys from Weezer. Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. And uh, I like Weezer. I I have nothing against Weezer, but Rivers Cuomo being on a punk album kind of explains why it doesn't feel like punk, I guess, to me. Uh, it's it's lost a little bit of that uh, uh, ugly edge that I want from Billy Talent. But I think now that I know that, additional spins of this album are going to get there. Because there's nothing bad on it. There's nothing that I listened to and went, well, that sucks. I just kind of listened to it and went, I don't think I'm in the mood for this right now. So this is neither a positive review nor a negative review. It's a slightly question mark review because Rivers Cuomo just shows up out of nowhere. But, uh, and I, again, no problem with Weezer, no problem with Rivers Cuomo, uh, at least not in any major way. But uh, it's just kind of a surprise. Uh, So yeah, this is neither a positive review nor a negative review. This is me saying it sounds like it has to grow on me, and I think it's going to, is ultimately where I've landed on Billy Talent's Crisis of Faith. Uh, Another album I want to talk about real quick, the new one from the Punch Brothers called Hell on Church Street. Uh, This one's a difficult one to, I guess, talk about because it's... It's a covers album of a covers album. Um, stay with me on that. <laughs> it's uh, it's based on it's well, it's based on it's 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 a redoing of uh, Tony Rice's Church Street Blues. Now, Tony Rice and Church Street Blues—that's an all-time bluegrass classic. It's in the Bluegrass Bible. It's one of those great all-time albums. And it's Tony Rice sitting around playing old bluegrass standards and covers and just songs that he likes. And it's, uh, if memory serves, it's entirely acoustic, just him with a guitar and vocal. And it's wonderful. And the Punch Brothers, uh, I believe one of them even had Tony Rice as his teacher, as his guitar teacher or something like that. And the Punch Brothers wanted to pay tribute to him and to that album because Tony Rice has since passed away. And they did their own version of the Church Street Blues album. 
and called it Hell on Church Street, which is a line in one of the songs on that album, and uh, or at least a, an allusion to it. And the Punch Brothers, though, didn't do it just guitar and vocal. They did their full band doing everything. Um, and that's really what the failing of the album is, I think. The songs are pretty good. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, the songs are good. The songs are standards. The the Tim Rice version of these songs are the definitive versions of these songs, which one wonders, when you have the definitive version of a song, why are you doing another version of the song? Like, I, I think that maybe this goes back to the Jason Isbell thing. I think I just have a problem with covers albums, says a guy who did a covers album last year. Uh, I, I, I think I just have a problem with covers albums in that way. The other thing about it is, in an effort to be different, they messed around with the arrangement of these songs a lot, just in adding weird instrumentation. Like, we all know that uh, Chris, Chris Thiel, which is how I've pronounced his name for years, I assume that's right, T-H-I-L-E, Chris Thiel is how I've always said that. We all know that he is the best living mandolin player in the world. He's unapproachable. Bar none, he's the best. He's great. He's amazing. He's fantastic. He's also in the way on this album because he's playing counter, counter melodies and filler lines that are completely counterintuitive to what the melody of the song is, and it detracts from the melody and from these great classic songs. He's He works so much better on their original compositions because he's actually structuring them, I think. It, listening to this album, one could be forgiven for thinking that we're one Punch Brothers album away from just hearing complete gibberish out of the music, you know? But... I I think they were just trying to fill up empty space, and they went too far in the direction of filling up that space, rather than to the point where it no longer served the melody. But at the same time, these are great songs, and I actually really like their version of The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I think it's a really good version of that. And, you know, the opening song, Church Street Blues, is interesting, and it's one of those things that when you hear the first song on this, and you kind of... You kind of get their take on it. It it does set the tone for what the rest of the album is going to be. So in that way, it's very well structured. They immediately get you into their world, and and if you don't like the first song, you're not going to like the rest of the album. Uh, whereas I heard the first song and I went, okay, I'm familiar with this song and I have questions, and I felt that same way for the rest of the album up until Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which closes the album. Uh, so. I don't think this one's for me, but I don't think that that's necessarily to its negative. I think it just wasn't for me. I think it was for the band, really, and for the uh, uh, member of the band that was trained by Tony Rice, and I think it was for Tony Rice. And far be it for me to shit on anybody's tribute, you know, because... Ultimately, they meant well, even if it didn't register with me. They they didn't do it for me. They did it for him, you know, and God bless him for that. That said, I'm interested to hear whatever the next Punch Brothers record is, and I think I'll probably enjoy it a lot better because if I want to hear the Tony Rice album, I'm going to put on the Tony Rice album. You know what I mean? Like I said, I think I just have a problem with covers albums. 
which sort of leads me to this last one that I want to talk about in a roundabout way, because the last album that I want to talk about is a guy more or less covering himself. Because uh, I want to talk to you about David Bowie's Toy, which came out at the tail end of last year in a box set, but at the very start of this year in its own release, which is also a box set. It's a three CD situation. Uh, technically, it's called Toy Box, but the album is Toy. Toy is an album by David Bowie that has been talked about in Bowie fan circles for a couple of decades now, because it was supposed to come out before the album Heathen, which is one of my favorite David Bowie albums, but it didn't. It got kind of shelved, and instead he did Heathen. The concept of Toy is David Bowie wanted to redo some songs from his early career with his current band and kind of give them an updated sound and an updated mood. And that was the goal. And Toy largely got shelved. But Toy also has leaked out over the years. Like, there was a complete release of it online that, through bootleg communities that Bowie himself knew about and never made any attempt to stop. He just kind of said, yeah, fine, go ahead, have it, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, and, and, uh, also, uh, let's see, when did that come out? I think the year before Bowie died, the, he released the one, two, or three disc collection, depending on which version you bought, called Nothing Has Changed, and on the three disc collection, you got most of the toy album, uh, because, like, a lot of the songs that are on this album are on the Nothing Has Changed release, so... It's not entirely new to anybody. It wasn't entirely new when he recorded it, I guess, in that way. But it's also not new to those of us who have just been crazy-ass Bowie fans for years. Uh, And, like, I've definitely heard this album before, and I've heard versions of this album before and different mixes of this album before in various forms. But now it's an official release, and it's out there, and it's a three-disc which also includes a bunch of demos and a bunch of outtakes and a bunch of alternate versions and stuff. So that's, for a guy like me, that's always paradise. But the track list is really cool. It's old stuff, but with a updated feel. Uh, the songs, I Dig Everything, You've Got a Habit of Leaving, The London Boys, Karma Man, Conversation Piece, Shadow Man, which, by the way, I love. Uh, Let Me Sleep Beside You, which I also love. Hole in the Ground, uh, Baby Loves That Way, uh, Can't Help Thinking About Me, Silly Boy Blue, one of his early songs, and the song Toy, a.k.a. Your Turn to Drive. It's a great list. It's a great album. It's just kind of a weird one that doesn't fit anywhere except in, in the in the hearts of us collectors. So this is, this is one of those releases that's absolute fan service for the guys like me who want it and need it and have sought after it and have already heard it, but now it's in a form that can stand on our shelves and we don't uh, have to feel guilty about it. You know, it's just a cool release and I'm very happy to have it. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just cool when something comes out and it says David Bowie on it. That always makes me happy. So that's the music that I want to talk about in this particular episode, uh, this particular slightly long episode because it's going up late. So to make it up to people who were mad at me, I'm I'm talking a little bit too much, but that's all the music that I wanted to talk about. Elvis Costello's new one, The Boy Named If, is great. Uh, Billy Talent's Crisis of Faith is going to grow on me, I think. The Punch Brothers' Hell on Church Street, I get, but it's not quite a win for me. And David Bowie's Toy 
it says David Bowie on it. Of course, it's a win for me. So that's uh, that's it. That's the end of the music section. We'll play a little bit of music of my own, and then we'll wrap this thing up. How's that sound? Keep on searching for whatever it is that gets me by. Keep on working and finding something that's supposed to get me high. Keep pretending that I'm never ever gonna have to die. Keep believing that one of these days I'm gonna get dry. But that's not. Oh, checkmates, my checkmates. Thanks so much for hanging around for this episode. Uh, I do want to tell you why this one went up late and is therefore a long one. I, uh,. I really like the recording software that I use. It's great. But every now and again, if you're a guy like me and you delete old folders that you know you're never going to need again, because I do that a lot recording this this show, uh, sometimes you end up deleting stuff that you really did need. And for like the third or fourth time in doing this show, I've accidentally deleted the theme music to the to the show, like the intro music and the outro music that you hear, the, the which is my track "Bite the Habanero," just chopped up a little bit here and there. Uh, I deleted those files, <laughs> uh, so I have to remake them. I, I which I haven't done at the time that I'm recording this. So I've got to I've got to take the start of the song and fade it out again and save that file and then take the end of the song and fade it in until the end of the song again and save that file again. Uh, I don't know why I don't have multiple backed-up copies of that. I just... It's so hard to explain, but sometimes the software leaves a file where it is, but if I don't check a certain box, it'll import the file into its own folder, and then if I delete that folder, that file's gone forever. So that's essentially what happened. I did or did not click the right box, and it deleted a file that I've had on my hard drive for like two years. Uh, well, or not really. It just it I, I it, it deleted a file that should have been on my hard drive for two years, but this is the third or fourth time I've done that. And... Um, I don't know, whoops. So that's part of what delayed me, is I had a technological moment of idiocy, and I deleted something that I needed, and I've got to fix it, and that's where we are. So, sorry about that. The intro and outro that you're going to hear are kind of new, but hopefully you won't even notice, because hopefully they'll sound roughly the same. That's what delayed the episode. Uh, got a lot of stuff going on. I think we're going to have some fun talking here over the next couple of weeks. I've uh, got a lot of stuff that I'm going to watch. Uh, obviously, I'm going to keep watching the Olympics. Maybe I'll have things to say about that. Maybe not. It's hard to know. Uh, I also have some movies sitting around that I've been meaning to get to. At Christmas, I got copies of uh, The Irishman, which I still haven't watched. Uh, I was excited about that because I like Scorsese and a lot of the cast, but I just I haven't watched it yet. So i, I got to watch The Irishman. Uh, I got also got a copy of Citizen Kane, which I've seen before, but I've got a Criterion release of it now, so that's I love Criterion DVDs. Uh, also sitting around here, I've got uh, My Dinner with Andre, which I've been meaning to watch forever, and I'll finally get around to that sooner or later. Also got the new Wes Anderson movie. I found out the new Wes Anderson movie is already on Blu-ray, the French Dispatch. So I'm going to be watching the French Dispatch here soon, and I'll update my... Uh, I'll update my Wes Anderson standings in an upcoming episode here. Maybe not the next one, maybe not the one after that, but soon and forever. I'll watch The French Dispatch. 
Uh, also still working on, um, uh, um, also still working on getting cats. Still working on adopting a couple of cats. Uh, no real progress on that. COVID derailed me and my back has been in a position where I haven't been able to do some of the prep work around the house that I need to do to get a, a couple of kitties in here. But I'm, I'm still excited about the idea of having cats and I'm still like super going to do that. I'm just, just not there yet, you know? Uh, but for those who are interested in my, uh, feline pursuits, yeah, sooner or later there'll be a couple of little friends around here that maybe I can get to meow into a microphone for you at some point. But, uh, not, not just yet, but it's, it's, that's still coming. Uh, other than that, I'm just going about my week trying to get through it. You know, it's, it's February now. We're going to, uh, we're going to hit Valentine's Day here soon, so I've got to buy some liquor for that. And, uh... <laughs> That was a sad sentence. Uh, is there is there a way I can make that sound happier? So the uh, so Valentine's Day is coming up, and I gotta buy some liquor for that. That might have felt worse, actually. But it, 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 look, I I you guys, you know how it is. I, I I don't particularly care for Valentine's Day for obvious reasons, and uh, uh, you know we're gonna try to avoid that one. We'll, we'll we're not gonna. I'm not going to speak of it, really, other than just now when I spoke of it. But th that's coming up. Uh, yeah, this year's uh, already going by at a pretty heavy clip, and uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff happening. And uh, hope you're all doing okay out there. Hope everybody's happy and healthy. It looks like in the national uh, you know, world, we're um, we're maybe slowing down on COVID a little bit, which is which is good news. Uh, I do want to take a second before I sign off and just say a special thank you to all of you who wrote in in response to the episode that I did last week, which was uh, a tribute to my friend John. And um, if you haven't listened to that, please do. Uh, several of you took time to write me very nice emails uh, or to contact me otherwise to say uh, that you appreciated that episode and that you got it and to say nice things. And that meant a lot to me because that episode meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to me to pay tribute to a friend. I wish I had been able to do it in a way where I was a little less affected by the COVID brain. I heard even more stammering and use of the word, uh, as you hear me say constantly throughout the show, I, uh, 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 you know, I heard a lot of that in that episode. I wish I had been a little bit more on top of the ball and a little bit more professionally speaking during it. Uh, and I wish I hadn't gotten into the whole Joe Rogan situation and the intro of it, but at the same time, I felt like that needed to be said. But I, I want to thank those of you who wrote into the show and said nice things about that, and um, that's very much appreciated. Thank you very much for that. I've tried to reply to all of you. If I haven't gotten to you yet, I will do my best to do so. It's possible you hit my spam folder. I also want to say that I don't care about the two, mind you, two of you who wrote in uh, supporting Joe Rogan. It's fine if you like Joe Rogan. You just need to know who you're liking. And that's all I was trying to say last week. Um, me, not a fan. It's okay if you are, but there's a good chance that we don't have a lot to talk about at a party if that's the case. Uh, but yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for caring enough to reach out. Thanks for uh, being the good people that I believe all checkmates are. 
So with that, I say to you, please continue to be responsible here in the face of the pandemic. Get vaccinated, wear masks, social distance, do all the stuff that you know you're supposed to be doing. Also, please remember that black lives matter, that trans rights are human rights, that women's rights are human rights, and I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. Be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. Well, what the...